And now, part two of Operation Pandorica. Wilfred Mott, the last man living to have seen the legendary centurion, guardian of the mysterious Pandorica, is in a bit of a two and eight, that is, a bit of a state. When not making up for lost time with his sweetheart Eileen and dodging the bonds of the Blitz, he's been alienating that self-same centurion and imperiling the future of all of existence. Meanwhile, the Daleks are doing the same thing they do every night, and Edwin Braceface is walking through the streets of London in the rain. Relieved that Eileen's head hadn't been turned by retro-Italian styling, but feeling sheepish at his gaff, Wilf returned to his granddad's gaff above the calf, where all the London mots had been weathering the war together. Eileen had slept off her late-night shift at the WVS and was ready and waiting for him. But dinner wouldn't be ready for another hour, so just to be on the safe side, Wilf set about hammering home his advantage. But despite their shared talent for military-style drilling, each seemed a little distracted and perceived it in the comportment of the other. Eileen was the first to winkle something out of Wilf, but had a secret to share in turn. And he wasn't too keen on shaking my hand either. What sort of human being can have a problem with that? I don't know, love. I can't bear the thought of him standing there holding a grudge. I've got to go and make it up to him somehow. I've never rubbed someone up the wrong way before in my life. I mean, you'll swear to that, won't you? <laughs> I'm sorry I brought him up. Should've kept me great gob shut. Here now, there's no need to start on like that. What's the matter, girl? Oh, I feel like I'm, I'm in a right blooming pickle. Seems like that war ministry fella wrote me up, and now I've got to go into the war office for an interview, day after tomorrow. But that's marvellous. I'd have thought you'd been bowled over. Of course I am. That's my old problem. What are military intelligence doing calling me up? I don't know nothing about no espionage. I believe it's pronounced espionage. And I wasn't even supposed to tell you that part. First secret I ever heard and I've already leaked it. Don't you worry, Chestnut. They know what they're doing. There's nobody in this old country who'd make a better guy of it, I'm certain. No one's got more pluck in a scrape than you. Keys up! Wilf's mother, Milfred Mott, and his grandfather, Gilfred Mott, were already sat at the dining room table, their hands linked, ready to say grace. Soon they were all tucking into a meal of baked potatoes, cooked with the rinds of the week's bacon to make the butter last, and sausage roll and carrots on the side. So, uh, what's the latest, Eileen? Eileen glanced sideways at Wilf, his encouraging face and indefatigable bonhomie sealed for her the conviction that she was in a safe haven. I got a phone call. I've been called up for an interview at, at War Office. Silence fell. Gilfred's eyes darted to his daughter, whose jaw was setting firm. Are you now? Oh dear, that's terrific. You must be filled to bits. Sort of. It's a bit overwhelming, if I'm honest. There's an easy way around that. Tell him to get stuffed. Oi, come on, love. You realise what you'll be getting yourself into if you end up working for that Churchill, don't you? What? What can you have against Mr. Churchill? He's just a toff who got lucky. A knob spoiling for a fight who finally found one. Hang on, you can't say that. That's communist talk. It's not. And you do well to listen to me rather than the papers so you can bloody well learn the difference. He never wanted to give the women the vote. He took the side of the police against your grandmother and all the other suffragettes. He cocked up at Gallipoli. He would have set the army on the general strike. He's never once been on the side of the common man and even less the common woman. 
He even took a shine to Mussolini for a time, wished he'd had that much power over the people. Milfie, please, don't go filling the girl's head with gunpowder on the way to Parliament. You know it's true, Dad. He was lucky someone even worse came along so he could be on the right side for a change. Bloodletting's the only thing he's ever been interested in, and finally history's getting his way, at least for the time being. Gordon Bennett. You mark my words, the moment this war's over I'll doff my cap to him, shake his hand and vote in any other bugger who stands up against him to look after the peace. Except Mr Chamberlain. Oh, except that's not in Chamberlain, oh my word. The discussion had ended. Gilf knew no way to help the situation. Wilf was furious, but cowed into muttering under his breath. As for Eileen, this hadn't been the reassurance she had been hoping for, or promised. She looked up to Milf and respected her authority. Her own parents disapproved of her seeing Wilf, so she'd taken to avoiding contact with them as much as possible. Milf had taken her in without a second thought when she'd needed shelter, and she'd always be grateful. But she couldn't turn down this chance, her country's call. She resolved not to mention it any more which would be easy enough if she were expected to keep important secrets. But soon Wilf would ship out again, and she'd have no one else to turn to. What would she do then, if the toff turned out to be as bad as his notices? Meanwhile, Braceface was dealing with his recent setback with the steely metal, the stoic fortitude, and the unshakable stout-heartedness of a true British gentleman. <laughs> Why, the awful, awful misery of it all! <laughs> the next day, humble strumpet Eileen Dover reported in at the war office on Horse Guards Parade. But rather than being escorted up through the building, she was surprised to find the lift descending into the earth. How far down, she couldn't possibly tell, into the hush-hush heart of MI5, the cabinet war rooms. She was trying her best to seem respectable but that great gob of hers did have an unfortunate habit of gaping open at the eminence of it all. Just in here, miss. Choose your words carefully with Mr. Churchill. And pray don't be perturbed by all the pinkness. You are... ever, ever could you mean? The walls appear to be whitewashed. The secretary smiled demurely and closed the door, leaving Eileen in the room, not quite alone. One dim light in the far wall faintly picked out the outlines of an enormous clawfoot bathtub stood before her shrouded in gloom. What was going on? As her eyes grew accustomed to the light, she realized that the gloom was actually thick, sinuous smoke. She sniffed the air. Cigar smoke, rising from one end of the bath. Mr. Churchill? Very good, Miss Dover. It takes most of our candidates a good few minutes to figure out this first puzzle. It's always a relief when I can get out before the water grows cold. I say, uh... Good afternoon, sir. Topping day, what? How are your family bearing up under the strain? What do they think about how the government is conducting the war? Eileen paused, as she had no idea. She decided instead that the Mots could stand in as a grossly simplified caricature of typical Londoners during the conflict. Well, most of us are carrying on regardless, holding much the same views as we were before the war, upper lifts as stiff as ever, despite all the hardships. Doesn't do for one to, um, wallow in self-pity. And everybody's still right behind the king and queen. That's good. I've learned never to trust the newspapers since briefly being a proprietor of one. There was a coincidence, thought Eileen. Imagine how Milford would react if she knew Churchill had said exactly the same thing as her. Very good, sir. Eileen had overcome her little shock, but as the secretary's last words returned to her calming mind, she was struck with the thought that she might be in for a much bigger one. How old was Churchill? Was her first task going to be scraping the scurf from the old man's back? If he was that much of a toff, 
He wouldn't think twice about treating her like a servant. She began to back quietly away from the bath. There is one further test for you to undertake before leaving the room, Miss Dover. Eileen continued retreating, up on tiptoe so that her high heels wouldn't clash against the floor. She backed into what she had banked on being an accommodatingly flat slab of wall and had to stifle a yell. Her shoulder blade had collided with a brass light switch, but she could hardly go forwards, up on her toes as she was. She bit her lip and tottered in place. And what is that, sir? Now keen to look anywhere but at the bath, she scanned the room in desperation for another task she might be assigned. Standing in the far corner to her right, she thought, no, prayed she could see the outline of a motionless figure, some sort of dummy she might be called upon to attack and disarm as if it were the enemy, she told herself. Only the faintest scintillas of light gave away hints of an angular frame enveloped by the shadows. The work of war is a terrible business, Miss Dover. All social niceties must be left at the door while we devote ourselves to this mortal struggle. And so I trust you will understand that I must rely on my subordinates to have nerves of steel, to keep their heads when confronted with the most shocking sights. It was happening, just as she'd feared. Winnie's flabby arm grabbed at one side of the bath and his bald pate lurched in her direction, his gaze fixing hers for the first time. He grunted, perhaps with the effort or maybe with satisfaction, the mottled skin of his shoulder smooth and glistening like he was some monstrous newborn piglet struggling to stand. Maybe she'd ask Milford to leave off the bacon for a week. The famous cigar listed to one side and Winnie rolled after it. Ding dong, Bell! She saw his bare back and that was enough. Quick as thought, she twitched up her shoulder, flicked up the light switch, and plunged the room into darkness. Ah, damn headless eyes! Oh my. I think you better lie down again while I attempt to turn the light back on, sir. Once the floundering had died away, Eileen reckoned the danger was past. But flicking the light back on, even in the dimness of the re-illuminated room, she could now see that where there had once been only white, the head and shoulders of the Prime Minister added a fresh, accenting colour, an unattractive shade of puce. The lit end of his cigar quivered and blazed with his fury. Oh, I am terribly sorry. Let me fetch you a towel, sir. You will remain exactly where you are. That was it, thought Eileen. She had seen her fill and was understandably considering that perhaps Milford had been right about Churchill all along, and maybe this job wasn't worth the trauma of the interview. But at that moment, as Winnie began to rise from the deep like an avenging kraken, the amanuensis the interviewees never expected stirred from his corner and raced across the room, carrying what seemed in the corner of Eileen's eye to be a rolled-up newspaper and a pair of shelled walnuts. His magnificent moustache flapping in the wind, he slid across the wet marble floor to a standstill between her and the Prime Minister, and in the nick of time held aloft the aforementioned random assortment of items at, it should be noted, just below belt height. Miss Dover, if I may. I think I can help rectify this misunderstanding. Crikey, how long have you been standing there like that? And what are you doing with those walnuts? And is that my copy of Britannia? Safeguarding your honour, sir. Miss Dover. I thought you were a dummy. And there I was, ready to say something complimentary about you. Sorry, it's not to make out you really are one. Don't build your hopes up. I've barely said anything yet. Now, Miss Dover. Who's asking? I wasn't asking anything. Then I am. Who are you? I'll ask the questions, thank you very much. He's dreadfully good, isn't he? Hiya! Oh yes, of course. The man raised the magazine and walnuts a further inch and, for reasons that were imperceptible due to the expertise of his mimicry, adjusted the angle of the magazine whilst gently swaying the walnuts from side to side. Miss Dover, while I may or may not entirely agree with the nature of this assessment, I couldn't tell as I may or may not have heard or seen it. As indeed, you may or may not have done as well, um, either. Is that so? You're about to stray from a path leading to great deeds. 
Stay and I see the country, nay the world, benefiting from your wisdom and heroism. Leave and the world would be none the wiser, and without wisdom in these times one fears the worst. We need you, Eileen. Please give him another chance. I'll do my best to keep him in check. The man smiled at her. It was the kind of smile that hints at a shared, hidden understanding. Eileen contemplated his words. Great deeds and heroism. It all sounded like propaganda, but even so it sounded better than Churchill's last words to her. Perhaps there was hope yet to be forged in this office, and she wanted desperately to make a difference, but there was no curbing her. If the PM wanted to play fire, then so be it. Twice shy, she thought, and turned back around to face them properly. What are the pair of you gabbling about over there? Oh, nothing, Prime Minister. We're merely getting acquainted. Well, if you two are quite finished, I still have a problem to deliver. You must forgive the Prime Minister. He's not a young man. What's that? I'd submit, sir, that she's actually already managed to pass the second test by launching such a swift outflanking manoeuvre. Would you now? Let's see how she reacts when faced with an offensive from the front. Oh, damn. There goes the copy of Britannia. Rule, Britannia! Damn your warlocks! Eileen couldn't believe what she was seeing. Her eyes were sensibly locked on those of the amanuensis, who gallantly had inserted himself between her and the portly pride of Britain disgorging from the bath. It's okay, you needn't look. Just keep your head and choose your words carefully. At last Churchill reared fully upright and eyed Eileen beadily, quivering with belligerence. Her interview had reached its most sensitive point. Well then, the situation before you... What do you make of it? I think, sir, that the task that stands before us is long and hard, but we must meet it with maximum firmness. A sudden softening transformed Churchill's features. I can see my sources were not mistaken. You're just a woman to take the job in hand. I must now beg you leave. Well done, double one. Another exemplary performance. Grabbing a towel and wrapping it loosely around his corpulent frame, he strode past Eileen and out of the door, winking at her as he left. Sorry about that. He does have his uses, I assure you. That's as may be, but I'm telling you right now what I wouldn't dare tell him. I won't stand for no more funny business. If he ever has more in mind than giving me a shock, you can all kiss me goodbye. Although don't go trying that neither. That was never our intention. They both sighed. Eileen with relief and the amanuensis with exasperation. Churchill had been in the military for nearly 50 years by this point. The urge to haze his new recruits was deeply ingrained. Something from a previous century. Goodness only knew the amount of naked pranks Sandhurst must have seen in 1893. Just to consider thinking about it made his mind's eye water. He remembered himself and turned back to Eileen, who'd recovered her composure. Right. Your new job will start tomorrow. Congratulations. Report to reception at 0900. I will be your handler from now on. Your colleagues at WVS Chiswick will be informed and provided with a suitable replacement for tonight's shift. I needn't remind you that you are to tell no one, I repeat no one, whomsoever of what took place today or your new assignment. Understood, sir. Excellent. Then you are most welcome aboard. See you tomorrow at 0900. And Eileen, I have to say, you were brilliant. I've never seen Winston perk up like that before. Oh, heck. It was a misty night when Wilf returned to the high street to speak with a lone centurion called Fred. He felt, it's fair to say, that he could have handled things a little better during their first encounter. He could have done more to present himself as the lovable chum most people came to view him as. Instead, he had antagonised the poor kid and he wished to make amends. All right, governor? What? Oh, it's you. I told you to stay away. Yeah, funny that. 
There I was walking down the street when I see you standing there all on your lonesome again and I think to myself, hey, Wilfred Mott, you could do worse than go stand next to that chap in uniform and throw him a bone. I don't need your pity, if that's what you're offering. Pity? Oh, believe me, I don't pity you any more than I pity myself. And I pity myself a great deal. Ha! <laughs> I mean, here we are, just a regular pair of guys. One a silly man with his foot in his mouth. The other, a Roman legionnaire. Centurion. I do beg your pardon. My point is, I'm telling you, that is, what I'm trying to say is, I'm sorry for acting out of sorts that last time, and I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Why? Why what? Why does it matter to you? It matters because that's all we got, innit? Each other. The Germans come over in their aeroplanes and drop their bombs on us, but that shouldn't change a thing. They can blow away the foundations of our houses, but they can never crumble the warmth from the fires within, is what I always say. We can't forget what it is to be human with one another. Ah, but you don't want to listen to a skinny little idiot like me, do you? Rory imagined he felt a stirring where his heart once had been. This Wilfred Mott had a friendly charm, powerful enough to draw blood from a stone. Or even auton plastic. That's... kind of nice, I suppose. So might you be so kind as to forgive me then? Sure. Alright, get in. This is terrific news, my son, that is. Hang on. Do you hear that? Hear what? As two metal menaces approached, themselves unaware of their two witnesses, Rory began to unsheathe his sword. The memory of their devastating intent burning in his chest, it would have been impossible for any man to stop him in his tracks. Fortunately, Wilfred Moss was not just any man. Get behind me, quick. Now don't you rattle your sword at them wheelie bins, mate. Get in the shadow, sharpish. The Daleks. I haven't met your young lady yet, but they don't look like darlings to me. No, they're, they're sort of like a machine. Dal-X. I don't know what that means. Haven't heard of it. But that'd be just like the Nazis, rolling down our streets in their little Nazi-sized tanks like it's nobody's business. Oh, what's the world come to? Come on, you'll need more than a sword against that armour, steel or no. Quick, get in this doorway. Dalek's in London. Damn it. We should alert someone. I couldn't help. Well, you don't know who it is I was going to alert. Trust me. You wouldn't stand a chance against those Nazi tanks. And you was going to defend me against them? Ready to pounce, was you? Sword and all? Yeah, all right. I knew you were all right. Didn't I say so? That gladiator, I beg your pardon, Centurion, he's a right good lad, he is. Wilfred. Yes, Fred. I need your help with something. Will you help me? Anything for a friend. Well, I say anything. A man's got to have his limits, of course, within reason and such. I'm guarding something. For instance, I'm not the sort of fella that can introduce you to some ocean pearl. I know there's them that do, but I ain't he that does. I'm guarding something, and it's not safe here anymore. But if you need a good bed for the night, I got me a right cushy place with me, my ma and me grandpa, and they'd be all too pleased to have you round for a bit of nosh and a floor that's not too hard for kipping. Wilfred! Yes, Fred. This is serious. Yes, sir, I'm all ears. I said I'm guarding something. Something very important. That's why I'm here. Now, those tanks, they want what I'm guarding. Need it to win their war, in fact. Crikey, this is a big twist. Important stuff. Oh, my goodness. I need to move it to a safer place. You seem like a chap in the know. Well, I don't mean to brag, but I've been known to know a thing or two. Could you help me find a safe place? Fred, you don't know how lucky you are. 
I've got a good idea for starters, and then I'll do you one better, mate. I know someone who can think of the safest place in London. Meanwhile, Braceface, in his despair, had begun wandering the streets, yet, not being the sharpest at orienteering, nor the purveyor of either compass or dowsing rods, he had made the grave error of straying into Tottenham. Like the true British gentleman he was, however, he was taking it on the chin. Oh! Ouch! What are you doing, you damned little hoodlums? Oh! Yeah, take it, Grindhead! Oh, good heavens! Get his watch, Frankie! He ain't got no Larry! Here, hold him down, will ya? You little brats! I'll have you know, I could snap you in twain like twigs! Yeah, why don't ya? Well, your children. I'm doing my best to show restraint. Now leave me be, right this instant! Oh! Stop it! Oh, what? Don't you know who I am? I fought in the Great War! I'm a war hero! This is treason! Do you hear me? You're committing treason! Oh! As to the veracity of his statements, needless to say, it could be debated. Hyperbole, it should be noted, however, may be expertly employed as a means of self-defense, and this may indeed have been Braceface's intention. Big hero, eh? Why aren't you on the front lines then, grandad? Oi, Francis! I got him pinned! Check his pockets before he starts squirming again, you lazy bugger! I was in Winston Churchill's office only yesterday, talking with him about how to defeat the Bosch. I can have you all, you jackanapes. And when I get out of this, there'll be hell to pay. He ain't got nothing on him, Larry. Leave him be. We's wasting our time with him. Thanks a lot, hero. Braceface arose victorious and no more empty-pocketed than he had been before the intermezzo with the young assailants. <sighs> and let that be a lesson to you, little vandals. Dusting himself off, he decided that venturing back home was perhaps the best course of action, and so he did. Little did he know that he was being watched, his every word overheard and analysed for its inherent strategic value. As he trudged in what he assumed was the right direction home, he had no idea that his life, indeed his role in the war, was on the cusp of great change. Did you hear that? He is a hero and an associate of the Prime Minister! I told you, I saw him leaving Westminster! Yes, fine, be that Dalek. This is why you have no friends. What is our next step? Infiltrate! 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 Eileen had never dressed so smartly in her life as for her first day working in the cabinet war rooms. But whereas she had expected to find all the military top brass impeccably kitted out in pristine uniforms, her handler, the clipboard operator from her interview, instead took her down a corridor past room after room full of chaotically scattered papers strewn among crowded banks of filing cabinets, inhabited by either a dishevelled man drinking whiskey or a foreign-looking woman hammering away at a typewriter, as often as not smoking two cigarettes at once. Not one ironed crease was to be spotted among them. Eventually, they came to a locked door, which her handler opened with a key, but only after a great deal of inept fumbling, as if he'd never had to use one before. He directed her to sit behind what would be her desk, and sat in a chair opposite. Right. First part of initiation. Tell me what you've observed. This branch isn't under direct military command. Yes, good. How did you reach that conclusion? The women here are more equal with the men than in the regular forces. We'll all be doing the same job. One which doesn't require manual work, or conventional weapons, or presentation standards. Nobody's rank or insignia was visible either from their door, their desk, or their dress. The military would exist on knowing to whom they're speaking at all times, so they must never come down here. I like that. That last part hadn't even occurred to me. 
And? And the weapons that were on people's desks were not standard army issue. At least one Scotsman works here, because I could smell whiskey first thing in the morning. Brilliant. Anything else? Well, I say, um... Oh, hell's bells, and you ain't much good with a key neither. He smiled at her honesty. Actually, it's just this particular key. The locks on this corridor are made out of wood, so as to be as silent as possible, all part of the general hush-hush effect. They set a great deal of store by it. It's also to stop certain people picking the lock and escaping, were they ever to be locked up here. He shifted in his seat, as his expression shifted likewise to one of extreme seriousness. What I'm about to tell you cannot leave your lips for the duration of the war. It is essential to the war effort that you understand and divulge none of this information. Do you understand? Eileen crossed herself and nodded equally seriously. I'd be mad to turn down an offer like that. So what does the king require of me? Am I to be a secretary? Everybody needs secretaries. Not quite. This is the executive liaison branch of section B1A of MI5. From here, meetings of the 20 committee are organised. This committee runs the double-cross system, which controls all the German spies that have been sent to this country. There are other operations throughout London, but you don't need to know about them unless formed otherwise. All you need to know is you'll be reporting to two men, J.C. Masterman and Tar Robertson. Tar Robertson, the Scotsman you identified by his drinking habits, his codename is One, since he's the number one here at B1A, the man in charge. But because I'm the go-between who carries his messages to Churchill, I'm an even bigger secret. So my codename is Double One. I'll train you up for a short time, then you're to be my replacement. Eileen had gone very pale, staggered at the enormous secrets she was all at once being made privy to, and at the responsibility to be laid on her. You're kidding. Me? Replace you? I've only just come out of this silly wooden locked door. How do you know I can take your place? Are you even sure you should be telling me all this? Oh, hang on. I know. It's another test. This is no test. This is your first day as Churchill's secret weapon. As of right now, you are the most important woman in the whole wide world war. And why not? Your wartime record is exemplary. We've built up a significant file on you and it's entirely spotless. We've even had agents out in the field test you and every report has come back saying you're brave, indomitable, and when it comes to keeping secrets, water tight. Eileen couldn't help but blush. She hoped Double One wouldn't think it a reaction to the stream of compliments when in fact it was shame at everything having flooded out to Wilf almost immediately. And this before she'd been told the truth about Churchill's dreadful elitism. And that before the aged statesman nearly exposed himself to her rising from the bath. But she hadn't failed completely, not when it mattered. Thank God her lips hadn't been too loose with any of that spate of slightly weird suitors who'd seemed so keen on her over the last few months. Although learning some of them might have been paid to show an interest took the shine off it somewhat. Sorry if this is all a bit quick. My advice is just to sit back and you'll find that somehow it does soak in. Was Double One deliberately making puns? She wasn't sure whether he could possibly have a sense of humour or what to make of him at all, but his smile was encouraging. Maybe she could keep these secrets for his sake instead. Her eyes flashed and her colour began to return. Don't worry, I won't start running. We imagine it's best to iron out any wrinkles as soon as possible. Down here, there's not much space to ignore any elephants in the room. Double One nodded approvingly. Good. Humour. Yes, that's the spirit. Your codename, Eileen, will be Agent Siren, because you've dazzled us to the point where we couldn't help but come for you. And now, you're going to lure in all the Allies' enemies and dash them against the rocks. You're about to sing them a song that's so irresistible, 
it'll wreck every single one of their plans. <laughs>